Kingdom, this is Judley Wheels Rothstein, straight from the Tar Heel state of North Carolina, coming at you live for our fifth episode of Hold the Fort. And now it's time to introduce my co-host, the man who's always riding shotgun with me, although it's not too plausible that I would be driving given, number one, my abysmal track record during pre-camp 15-passenger van driving tests, and number two, because North Carolina is currently out of gas, which coincidentally is something Wenaki campers could never say after eating eight weeks of camp food. It's my longtime Pong doubles partner straight from the Louisiana Bayou, Stuart Stew Dog Vitter. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Doggy. Ruff. Doggy. E ruff. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Studog, how are you doing this week? Tell me two things. Number one, do you have gas in Homa? And how good was it having Neton at the wheel for all those summers at camp? I am doing great. Another end of the school week. We have about four more weeks left in the uh, elongated school year with the late start with COVID. Uh, we, have, we have a plethora of gas here at Homa. We have people flying in from Utah, Montana, they're filling up Ziploc bags, anything they can find to put gas at the that we have here. Um, and to tell you about Neton and, and your driving record, besides the fact they could not plant any trees due to what you would do there on main campus every pre-camp. But if there was anybody that you needed to get from point A to point B who knew how to not drive on the right side of the road, by all means, grab the Englishman, Neton Sony. Woo. Oof, there were a couple of close calls, or at least I thought so, sitting in the back with one eye open. There was nothing better yeah, than Neton at the wheel. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and one uh, time here, let me just say what a maybe the greatest call ever by you that one particular evening there on the dock at Weir's Beach. Um, you know, Neton maybe finding his way to the shoulder of the road. And of the 15 of us who were in there, you were three for three, and who was going to get called out? <laughs> That's another story for another time. That's another story. But if there's anybody who knows the back roads, back roads to Plymouth, New Hampshire from Center Harbor, it must be our next guest. So, Studog, our next guest, I am beyond elated to introduce to hold the fort because this man has been holding the fort since he was born on the shores of Winnipesaukee. On his first day of life, the doctors declared his vision 2020 for the year of Wenaki's founding, 1920, and said his blood type was B positive because he positively had buff and blue blood coursing through his veins. He went from minnow to cub to pioneer to frosh all the way to senior on both mainland and the island. Legend has it that he could swim faster than a Boston whaler. He was more powerful than the Wenaki Barge, and he could leap over all of Devil's Rocks in a single bound. Was he Superman? Well, yes, Wenaki's version. Something tells me he probably played that character in one of the countless Color War breakouts over his decades and decades at camp. 
He was a hustler on the Kona links and on the clay courts and can win all of your canteen money in a flash. He was the heart and soul of Winaki when we were all kids and made his mother and father proud as a director of the greatest camp on earth. His last name is synonymous with Winaki and his first name, well, I guess it's synonymous with an outhouse. He is son to the great Doc and Puff, brother to Bart and Jane, father to Jeff, Beth, and Eric, surrogate father to us all, and voted the number one most huggable man in Vermont for 13 years running. The one and only John Sobel. John, how are you? And can you give us an Oogie the Bonga with three Winokis at the end? It'd be my pleasure. And first of all, thank you for allowing me to participate in this podcast. So I think we should start off with the Oogie the Bongo. So let's hear it loud and clear. Let's count of three. One, two, three. Oogie the Bongo. Iggy the Piggy Wiggy. Ethel the Depple Weffle. Ooh, wah. Ooh, wah. Winocky, That was brilliant. Beautiful. John, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. So tell us a little bit about how you've been doing and what you have been doing since we last saw you at the amazing Winaki 100 in August of 2019. Yeah, I'm, as most of you know, that I've moved here to Manchester, Vermont, way back in 2000 and have loved every minute of it. But, and I am now presently um, a realtor, something that I've always have loved. Not as much as being a camp director and owner, but I really have been fascinated and I've done it the last six years. And in this crazy, wacky, tumultuous real estate market, it's, it's really very exciting, very rewarding. Um, I'm also very involved with the golf community. I am on the Vermont Golf Association Board of Directors and been very active with many aspects. But one of the things I'm most proud of is that with the first T initiative, those of you who are familiar with golf, uh, it's really a introduction to bring golf into the, you know to younger children particularly in the schools throughout the country and uh, along with myself and another individual when we first got involved we started with three schools in vermont who were involved with this uh, first initiative and now we're up to 52 schools um, throughout the years so it's really it's uh, very very rewarding so basically you know i go on and on in terms of um my bob with, you know, very active in the synagogue, I've been the president, etc. in the for 16 years, but uh, suffice it to say, life is very full, very rich, and very fulfilling here in Vermont. Wow, that's great. Uh, tell me, what has been dropping, dropping more quickly, your handicap or interest rates? Um, I would say it's certainly not my handicap. <laughs> my handicap, is, unfortunately, is going not, you know, as far as lowering it's heading north to uh let's put it this way it's uh, i'd rather not say it in public <laughs> okay we need an advocate <laughs> what were some of the earliest memories for you at camp you know i you know i spent you know my entire life my you know starting when even before I was a year of age you know up until the time my retirement I was 56 years of age when i left but um I, I guess one of my earliest memories was when I was a camper myself, I was in the Pioneer House. Now, many of you probably don't know, but years before we had the Minnows and Cubs, 
we had the Pioneer Group, which was groups of children five and six years old. Um, and that's the clubhouse. We also call it the Waiter Shed. As you go into camp on the right-hand side, a big white building. With, oh, yeah. With, you know, with red trim saying we're knocking on it. Um, and that's the reason why camp started that early. That was for the advent of day camps. Uh, they really uh, wasn't until the day camps came in, you know, in the in the 60s you know, that uh, the, the culture was, you know, children went to camp starting five or six years of age. And so I remember it very vividly. Uh, I actually uh, uh, had a uh, very wonderful time. Of course, I wasn't homesick because Doc and Puff were right there in the camp as well. So that made things a little easier for me. John, what were some of the, the roles there between the camper years and assuming the role of director with Bart that, that you held at Winocchi? Gosh, that's a great question. I have um, went from a camper for a few over 10 years to a counselor, you know, then uh, for into a group leader, shift leader, role leader, um, assistant director. And when I was at counselor camp, I ran the sailing program back in, in Bar Harbor, uh, which was um, – had some great times back there, uh, but then finally, in I think it was in 1980, was it 82 or 83 that I became you know a director owner along with Bart. Mm. Now, could you tell me? I heard you say Bar Harbor, but what would it be pronounced if you were actually up there? Can you can you give us a good accent? Well, if you want to call it Bar Harbor, I can call it that if you. But. Um, I'd be stretching it, but that's the way the locals would say it. Bahaba. Uh-huh. Bahaba. That's what I thought you said. So, John, <laughs> can you tell us, you know, obviously it runs in your blood and, you know, having Doc and Puff there seems almost like a fait accompli, but there still had to be a moment or a, a specific feeling at a point in your life where you said, you know what, I'm going to commit my life to the campers and to, to Wanaki. How did you know that Winaki was going to be such a huge part of your life? Interesting. I, you know, even as a child, I'd always wanted to pursue camping as a profession. And right from the onset, however, I think sometimes was when I was in um, Colby College in my, I think my sophomore year, I was had I vacillated for a short time, thinking maybe I want to go pre-med. As most of you know, Puff was a physician, and early on, uh, her legacy is incredible as well as in terms of, uh, I don't know how many people know, when she went to medical school back in, she graduated, I think, the class of 1936 at Columbia Med wow. with a uh, 198 people in her graduating class, two women, 196 men, and was graduated number one in the class oh that time. Phenomenal. Just, but I mean, point being is that I really got into, you know, thinking maybe I'll go into pre-med instead. And so I remember taking quantitative chemistry. <laughs> and I busted my rear end. And one, I think I was in the lab by myself, it's like two or three in the morning. I'm struggling through this experiment. And I am, uh, you know, as far as, trying to stay awake but all of a sudden i had this epiphany 
said, what the hell am I doing? What am I doing here when I, in my heart and soul, I've always wanted to pursue the camp and only one camp on hockey. And, you know, so that next morning, I went to the registrar's office and I dropped quantitative chemistry <laughs> and the rest is history. So that sort of was a tur- right there, that, that turning point. I hope you would have picked up. Yeah, I hope you would have picked up or, organic nukem at the uh, in our state. <laughs> yeah. Quantitative chemistry was outlawed in this state about the same time that your mom was graduating Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> so, color war, obviously, the culminating, you know, end of camp is always a huge experience. I and all of us can vividly remember you on the pitcher's mound during the softball games of color war. What are some of your favorite memories of a Wanaki color war? Um, probably my favorite memory was, as I mentioned in my evolution of you know, going for camp, et cetera, I was a color war leader, I think it was in 1970, and it was a, I was a buff leader, and it was incredibly intense color war, and we pulled it out in the last afternoon, um, actually went down to the song fest, but, you know, when buff was announced as the winner, I mean, that's something you just never 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 forget but also you know in terms of the um you know, my memories I, I went to by the way my least favorable memory i have to go to the alternative on color war was i was at camp when he had one color war i think it was in 1956 that ended in a tie wow <clears throat> and you know i even though i was very young i remember they announced it you know there was a tie and it was dead silence Mm. You know, but both the buff team and the blue team, and it was um, not something that would ever happen again. I think they actually revised the rules so it, there could never be another tie in uh, color war again. But um, you know, as far as oh, some I love the uh, color war, the mass softball games, the tug of wars, the random base relays. How could you not get you know really just uh, those things? Just you know are so exciting and they they live in my mind and you know even when we had the uh, Winoki as far as 100 having the mass softball game you know was absolutely uh, so memorable and so wonderful uh but it just you know how, how can you not love color war Oh, it's the best, right? And then at, yeah, at the 100 to see Jordan Haddad's walk-off grand slam it was uh it was certainly very, very special. Do you remember who the leader was for the blue team in 1970 against you? Yes, I do. His name was Richard Leichel. Richard was the waterfront director, a teacher from New Jersey. I can't believe I remember this, uh, although I probably won't get any of the questions. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, he and I were had, you know, had this really good competitive rivalry. You know, a couple of years we had been – Chiefs, you know, by before we were leaders, and believe it or not, I my memory serves me correctly. I was the Owl Chief, and Richard was the, I think the Eagle, and I won that and won as well. So maybe I was just lucky, but <laughs> listen, you don't forget those no, uh, those experiences. No. Not not that you're keeping tabs or anything, John. I can't. No, I can't, I can't yeah, even. Right. I can't tell. I can't tell whatsoever. <laughs> 
Um, no, it's great, but you're right. I mean, I think that some of the best matchups, you know, if you think historically, uh, have been those leaders who have that really friendly competitive fire where the, yep. where the campers feed off of it and, and there's no acrimony. It's just like really true sportsmanship and, you know, but both sides want to win. And I'm sure you never let him live down the fact that you beat him, uh, in that color war. Um, <laughs> uh- I'm not going to deny that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So look, we've been priming your brain. Little did you know, this was a psychological experiment back from your quantitative uh, org chemistry days. We've been trying to get you ready for the five trivia questions to see if you can beat the 4.5 mark set by Arthur Charles Vitter. So we've got five questions. Stu, can you confirm that Mr. John Sobel has not seen any of these questions? I can't confirm. The message is authentic. Okay. So here we go, John. You have five questions, and here's the first one. What was Joe Marino's famous catchphrase? Hubba hubba. Ding, ding, ding. One for one. He is one for one. Uh, John, what year year was the Sobel Dome built? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to, this one, I'm just going to shoot from the hip. And how about 1990? You picked the correct hip to shoot from. Like Shakira, John, your hips don't lie. That was yeah, these hips are moving. That was a good oh. one. That's a good Wasn't shoot that? from the hip. That's, you, you are 100% correct on that. Oh, my God. Okay. So... John, question number three, what was the name of the stew that we ate on Carnival every summer? Oh, that one is a good one. How could you not love Mulligan stew? <laughs> Mulligan stew. And speaking, and speaking of I still can see Doc, if you guys remember, he would love bear stirring that big black kettle, you know, by the circular bench mm-hmm. and serving out a portion, eating a portion, serving another portion. He just loved that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And John, if you ever play golf with uh, with Stu, you'll understand that Stu and Mulligans go very well together as well. Very well. <laughs> Stu, you and I should play them together. We should. We should. You just have to bring the, the golf balls because I'm going to go through them rather quickly. Okay. Long time mainland senior row. I believe he spent all, if not most, of his years with the Raiders. Mike Katz, what sport did Mike Katz and Shark that went hockey? Golly. Mike Katz, remember the name. And Senior Row, you're right. And this one with me, stumped me. How about um, basketball? What was it? Um, baseball. I'll go with. Um, I'm going to go, yeah, basketball. He would have been excited that you even thought that, given his uh, vertically challenged stature, that he, he was a soccer a soccer counselor. Oh, darn it. Okay. All right. All right, you can still finish strong here. John, let's what? On. Let's end on a good note here. What famous New Hampshire landmark that we would drive by on trips out of camp was on the back of the New Hampshire State Quarter? On the new, was it the Man of the Mountain? Woo, Mister Sobel! 
You are correct, sir. Four out of five, you have done very, very well. So that Thank was a, that, that was a, a feat of intellectual capabilities. Let's talk about athletic capabilities. John, do you have any standout memories about a team that you coached as a counselor or an athletic competition that you watched over the years? I'll go back first to my camper days. And I was a big tournament and it's you know still a major one. And, you know, it used to be called the Dartmouth tournaments, which are now the Tri-State. But I was on the Tri-State softball team in, I think it was 1962 and 63. And we were called the boys in the red pajamas. <laughs> now, that was before your time. The reason why... If there are any real old timers here, we had uniforms that my dad had somehow gotten these uniforms that were these most uncomfortable, heavy flannel gray uniforms that were scratchy and itchy. But that was what we were forced to wear, and that was my you know. So we were the boys. We played at Dartmouth College, and we actually won both years. I played in fortunately 1972 and 73, but you know. So that's one thing, but as far as the what memories I have in terms of the, I would say I loved the Winoki Tecumseh rivalry. Mm. Just thought it was absolutely classic. It was intense. Most of the time, it was healthy competitors. <laughs> Sometimes it got a little carried away. Yeah. Uh, but I'll let, let you guys can handle that one. <laughs> but the other thing also remember about the tournaments that I used to love as a uh, on the other end as a staff member and also being part of the waterfront driving the barge. I used to love driving the barge with the winning teams. Mm. And every year, you know, summer we'd go across and they'd be doing rivalries and hooky the bongos and you take it halfway across and then the tradition seeing those those not only the campers but the coaches that you know jump off that barge was a seeing the the um, the rest of the island camp by the barge landing, greeting them. And it's it just something that uh, will stick in my memory for the rest of my life. Wow. John, would you say it's safe to say that Doc probably got a good deal on those flannel <laughs> outfits, maybe in the summer buying flannel? Um, if you know much about my dad, the answer is <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, John Winocki is... is almost indescribable to all the people that we know, family and friends who never got a chance to experience it. You know, how would you describe your summers at Winocki to friends of yours that even with the knowledge of your 56 years there, were not able to experience it? How, 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 what's, how do you explain Winocki to them? It's, it's really so hard to put into words, Stu, but you know, the best way I would say it's just a wonderful, magical world within eight memorable weeks in which lifelong friendships are created and, you know, and then, you know, go on for the rest of one's lives. It's a safe and warm environment where young boys and children, they really transition into young men. And I attribute a lot of that to a healthy camping experience and learning, you know, the sense of, of self-worth, of independence, of, you know, getting these far as becoming athletes, but more important, developing the, you know, the attributes of a, you know, in terms of sportsmanship. And, you know, it's just, um, it's an amazing place. It's a close-knit community. 
in which as far as people really, not, not just the campers, but staff members, uh, they really care and support one another. Uh, and the beautiful part is that you know, they come year after year. Uh, not only that, but they come back years later to, you know, to express their gratitude and their, you know, their, you know, you know how, how important, immensely important these, the years they were at camp. So, uh, but it's, it's really very, very difficult to put into words. Yes. No, it's so true. So let's see if we can get you to put some stuff into words here, because this is the time on our podcast where we have our rapid fire questions. John, we're going to alternate with five different questions that have quick answers to them. They're all going to be Wanaki related and Stu is going to start us off. All right, here we go, John. First one that comes to mind, what is your favorite Wanaki cheer? And can you give us a rendition? Yeah. Oh, meal. Oh, oh, oh. My favorite meal, I would say Monday and Thursdays used to be always steak and french fries. Oh, we've had that a couple times. If it was the yeah, never, never had it on the softball diamond, though. No. We've only <laughs> had, well, we've only had what duck. What was your favorite color event to play in? Definitely the mass softball games. I loved it. And, you know, as indicative when we saw it at Wodoki at 100 with that group, you know, the walk-off home run. Anyway, mass softball. Okay. Fourth question. Of all the different vistas at Wanaki and the different locations, what was your favorite view? What was, where was your favorite place to be just to take in the environment and the surroundings, the aesthetic of Wanaki? I used to sit, that's a great, by the lower totem pole and look out on the Zephyr. And look down Junior Row and look across the island and look across the you know you know the Lake Winnipesaukee and seeing you know as far as the uh, you know that area on the other side of the lake it was just uh, many many memorable moments there. Mm. Okay, and John, finally the fifth one. Our tradition here. What is your favorite Wenaki color, buff or blue? I'm definitely a buff man. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. No. Whatever you're, yeah. When you're a color war leader for a specific one of the colors, that becomes your color it, for life. It really does. And by coincidence, I think, you know, and you know, before I became a director and owner, I think my, you know, was maybe involved in eight color wars. Prior to that, I think six of them were buff and two blue, but definitely buff. Wow. I love it. All right. So, John, can you tell us about some of your favorite and funniest memories of things that happened at Wanaki? <laughs> I need a couple hours, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but some of the highlights I can think of, you know, this goes way back, but I can remember, you know, a lot of had to do during Color War and the Color War breaks, but we had, back, way back in 1962, we had Jackie Kennedy supposedly coming to visit camp and everyone was so excited about it we had the police escorts with sirens and we had fbi excuse me, secret service etc and sure enough you know the uh, the motorcade comes in and we had 
counselor was actually he incredibly was a guy, but he was dressed up in this beautiful dress and with a Jackie Kennedy wig. And I got out of the car, and I remember one of the campers saying pretty loudly, says, I didn't think Jackie Kennedy had such hairy legs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there were things like, you know, another one back in the 70s was um, we had, oh, the, the Inner Mongolia Bachi World Champion come to camp. Another one where you know, it was just uh, really, you, know, you guys did it, you guys organized it, but uh, the, I remember the we had everyone by the bocce court by my office. First of all, at the whole camp, we stood at attention while they played the Inner Mongolia National Anthem, which was basically someone that was able to play our Star Spangled Banner in reverse at 78 RPM and to, to say that it was a riot is putting it mildly. And then there's a counselor by the name of Charlie Harris, which probably three times, who he was dressed up as the Inner Mongolian Bachi Chip. He was marvelous. He was just great. But these are the things, this is what makes, you know, maybe that's, you know, goes back to the other question about what, you know, how do you describe what happens? What's so magical? These are the things that make it, you know, these type of experiences that, you know, um, make it so memorable and so hard to you know, verbally express you know, until you're there, but uh, it can go on and on. But that's basically some of my thoughts. Oh, that's great. And I mean, I mean Stu, I, may, I don't think I'm speaking for you. I think you'd, you'd agree with this, but that's part of what's so fun for us is we hear new stories. I mean, we, we think about how many countless summers we per, all personally spent together, but even I've never heard those two, uh, you know, color or break stories in my entire life. And that's what's so fun for, I think, for the audience and so fun for us just to hear these things as well. Yeah. And, you know, each summer, you know, obviously knowing that color war is going to be the end all, but, you know, those days and maybe even a week leading up to that, you know, what was just as anticipating as who were the leaders or what was going to be the team you were on was going to be this, the, the breakout. It was just look forward to every year and, you know, it was just very exciting days leading up to Color War. And look, a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. by the guys who, who you know, uh, performed these and, and, and did these was, was put into that. And one of those people is on this line right now that's Judd Rothstein. You, Judd, you were a master at coordinating these breaks and, you know, the hours and days you would put in. It was just, it was absolutely... <laughs> um, so, so thankless and so, you know, so much we appreciate everything you did in that regard. Oh, of course. My pleasure. But his best summer was the one he spent all 56 days getting ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you're, you're exactly correct. I've spoken on that on, on a previous episode. But John, over those summers with those guys, you know, we had so many amazing counselors. Uh, what was kind of the hiring process and what were some of the reasons you think some of these guys, you know, came back year after year? Yeah, I think that's something that, you know, that, um, Doc, my dad helped Bart and I, he, you know, mentor us and since he had this thing about, you know, you don't hire someone on the phone, you go to wherever they're working, whatever college, and you look at them face to face, and you—that's how. So we would go ahead. Bart and I would do year after year. We would do these, you know, these college and universities tours, particularly around the south, 
and the Midwest schools like UNC, schools like Davidson, Indiana University, Purdue, et cetera. Um, and yeah, we also try to focus in on recreation, phys ed majors, people who, you know, these guys who want to make this, have a fun summer, but also part of it, you know, in that this would be part of stepping stone in their career. So they took it seriously, yet they also like the sports, like kids. And that's the reason why then we started going over to Australia and New Zealand, just for that reason, because the Kiwis and the uh, Aussies do, as you guys know, they are, they love life. They love kids. They love sports. Sometimes they love to party a little too much, but guess what? It's well worth it because, you know, so it was just really uh, all done, you know, in person, um, you know, and it was just, you know, that's, uh, it takes a lot of time, but that's what makes it, I think, so special, you know, trying to get the right people who love kids, who love teaching sports, um, and you also want to see part of the country that they've never been or part of the world they've never been to. So all those factors were in the equation. Yeah, and you guys did, I mean, such a phenomenal job for so long, and it continued on as well to the point where it was it was such an outlier if you ever had a counselor who didn't quite embrace what it meant to be a Wenaki counselor or get into the spirit. It, it, it was really a, a very unifying experience, and I think that energy uh, just sort of multiplied as the summer went along. And I think you guys did a great job of having returners then mentor the new counselors. And, you know, that was really just the hallmark of Wenaki. And it really still is just the relationships that the staff have among each other. And then by extension, how they're able to then counsel the campers and get the campers excited about even coming back. But even just the summer itself, just the energy that exists because everyone is having such a good time. Amen to that. Absolutely. So, John, we have a new segment uh, for all of our Hold the Fort listeners out there. We have a new segment called Recollections, and here's how it's going to work. We've asked a few different uh, Wenaki alumni to write um, a short paragraph about what you have meant to them, their relationship with you, and sort of what you've meant to Wenaki. So I'm going to read the first one. Stu's going to read the second. I'll read the third. And at the end, we'll let you know uh, who it's from. So are you ready for the first one? Absolutely. Okay. Big time softball player? Check. Has a mean tennis game? Check. Has a smile that is as wide as Lake Winnipesaukee? Check. Ran the greatest summer camp ever known to man? Check. Has the respect and admiration of everyone on staff for his hard work and dedication to campers and counseling staff? Check. Over my 18-year career at Wenaki, 1976 to 1994, John was, without a doubt, one of the best people I ever had the pleasure of meeting and working for. He was a friend, surrogate father to campers and counselors, and caring individual all wrapped in one. I cannot thank John enough for all he did for me growing up as well as the entire Sobel family. And I'm sure a lot of other people feel the exact same way. John and Winaki taught me how to be a better person. Having problems finding a good role model, not too difficult when you meet a man that can talk you through problems, share a laugh and a beer with, rip you a new one when you deserved it, and at the end of the day, have your back through thick and thin. Working with and for John Sobel wasn't a job, it was just plain fun. You wanted a paragraph on this guy? Hell, let me sum it up for you quickly. John Sobel is winner, winner, chicken dinner every day of the week. 
Finally, <laughs> I can't thank John enough for being there for me over various times in my life when major events happened, good and bad. Most memorable was when both John and Bart came to my wedding in 1991 when I married Karen, a nurse at Wanaki. To say that Wanaki and John have had a major impact on my life would be an understatement. Having this opportunity to say thank you is a pleasure. P.S. My first year at camp, John drove me up from Queens, New York to Wanaki when I was just 15 years old. I believe it was a beat up Chevy Nova, but I could be wrong. Somehow I think his choice of cars has changed for the better over time. All the best, John. Your friend, Charlie Butch Gessner. Gessner. Well, that's horrible. Go ahead. I'm speechless, but, you know, um, thank you. All right, student. All right. The, the, the second one. I've known John Sobel almost since birth as our parents were best of friends for almost 70 years. My father interned with Puff Sobel and actually dated her until Jesse swooped her up. John was always the best friend a guy could have. Fun, caring, honest, hardworking, with a passion for helping others. I was the bad boy and John, never wanting to be left out, would get into trouble right alongside with me. There was this one time when we were uh, where we stole the canoes from the island with nine other guys and paddled over to Robindale, only to have Doc catch us on the way home. Doc dragged me and John into his office and tried to throw his own son out of camp and <laughs> sent him packing to his grandmother, who immediately said she wouldn't take him. My father laughed and hung up on Doc and said, boys will be boys. John's smile and laughter still lights up whole buildings, and his forthrightness and non-judgmental nature are the reason we're all still friends to this day. Yes, the Wanaki bonds will never be broken and those memories never fade. But Johnny Sobel will forever and forever always be my brother from a different mother. Even though I'm not convinced my father wasn't really his father. <laughs> One love, my friend, uh, Larry Gershman, former Wanaki camper and father of Wanaki camper and counselor, John Gershman. Well, <laughs> Mm -hmm. there you God, go. I can remember that incident so vividly that we stole the canoes and we had this, you know, this stage, this, you know, raid to Robindale and we knew exactly, we did it like three different times. We went halfway, three quarters, and we knew when to get back. And sure enough, we got over there and everything was fine. And I won't go into details when we got to Robindale, but on the way back, now, what you know, what had happened is that Roly Hughes was the mm. island director at that time, and that probably doesn't ring bells with a lot of people. He called a senior meeting <laughs> to talk about the, uh, the trip to Canada, to Quebec, and sure enough, there were seniors were missing, including Gershman and myself, and I remember where... <laughs> going, coming back on the canoe, we were halfway around, you know, the point where Robindale and heading you know towards the island camp when all of a sudden it was getting dark there was a speedboat going out there and I realized oh my god it's duck oh. so I panicked and I told the guys the only thing we can do just get lie down in the canoe don't let him see us maybe they won't see us at all and we both get closer and closer and closer and that big light all of a sudden was shining in my face i remember doc saying you know in his you know gruff voice god damn it get up 
at that point, I, I um, knew I was dead. So, <laughs> memorable. Thank you. That's a group. You know, I, that was a memorable. You know, that's a, these two letters are just beautiful. Thank you. Wow. So here, here's the third one, John. Uh, I thought of John as having a calming, steadying influence on camp and the campers. He always seemed to be there with a comforting comment and a smile. I remember one personal incident in particular that showed John's style. I have a late August birthday, so I always missed being a camp birthday by just a few days. One day in July, when I was a soft in bunk 15, my third summer, I made the questionable decision to lie to John Hannum during his morning wake-up routine that it was my birthday that day. I got the whole rah-roh-ree treatment and everything. While we were eating cake in our bunk during rest hour, Doc got on the PA and said my name and told me to get back here with my cake. I remember, I remember John coming to talk to me and having me write a letter home to my parents about the day. While this wasn't a major indiscretion, I felt badly about having lied, but John already knew that. So instead of focusing on the small white lie of a nine-year-old, John approached it as a teachable moment and did so in a supportive way by focusing on the fact that we all make mistakes and can learn from them. As an aside, he never even sent the letter to my parents. He seemed to want all of the campers to have the best experience possible while growing up as people in the process. Thank you for everything you did for us, John. Darren Eskow, Wanaki Camper, 1984 to 1991. So John, I'm gonna follow this up with a question. What has the Wanaki community meant to you over all of these years and years and decades? It, it's it's my family, my extended family. It is the you know, the fact that you know that both Doc, myself, Art, and as well in terms of uh, have realize how many lives that we've touched, and hopefully, as you can hopefully you know, in a positive way, certainly as these letters indicate, um, it's it's the fact that you know you know you reach these people when. I, you know, in my office when I, until I retired and uh, back in, was it 2000, um, I, was just, I guess three maybe was my last, but the point being, seeing these alumni come back to camp, some of them went back to who were campers in the late 20s, 30s, and 40s, who would still talk about compensating. These were the most important memories in my development. And that's what the, this community has meant to me. And being part of that process is something that I will always cherish for the rest of my life. Well, Stu, I'll let you have a, a piece before I sign off. Well, you know, John, you mentioned about it becoming a family. And that was only allowed for us here, the bidders, uh, by yourself and your brother, Bart, and of course, your mom and dad, Doc and Puff. And it truly, you know, it really was almost a reunion every summer there. You know, we drive into camp and we knew when, when dad would park to the right in the office was going to be John, to the left in the headquarters was going to be Bart. And we would say our hellos and Gavin and I were, you know, where's Jeff? Where's Zach? Where's Beth? Where's Walker? And it, it just became, obviously, with doing it every summer, it, it just became uh, not only just a part of our lives, but that was really, it almost became normal, you know, that as kids in South Louisiana and we're going to go to New Hampshire. And before we were old enough to truly realize how special that was because we're going to see people in our family and uh, forever grateful 
for for allowing that to happen for myself, my brother, and my mom and dad. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So, John, thank you so much. Obviously, the Hold the Fort podcast would not even have episodes if it weren't for you and your brother and your parents. And we felt so strongly about having you on to hear your stories. And this has been just a, a really wonderful time uh, for me personally to, to listen to you and to be able to express uh, my appreciation for what you did for me as a kid and the way that you mentored me and the belief you had in me. We all as counselors shared a unified belief that your heart was so big and your capacity for love for Wenaki and for us uh, was so palpable. And we all talked about it and whether or not we articulated it point blank to you, I wanna be able to do that now. Uh, we have a huge spot in our heart for you and everything that you did for us and for the camp. So thank you for all of the decades and thank you especially for coming on tonight and doing so well. I hope you this erases any bad memories of your quant chemistry class and you don't have any <laughs> any regrets about not taking that path. No, first of all, you know, um, I have no regrets whatsoever. I made the right decision. And, you know, thank you for giving me this honor of, you know, as far as being part of the Winoki podcast and uh, Judd and, and um, as far as uh, Stu, thank you very much for hosting it. It's just, um, this is, you know, truly a real, uh, real highlight for me. So uh, keep it up. Hold the fort. We will. We will. So we'll take it home with our theme. So hold the fort, for we are coming, loyal sons of Winocchi. Side by side, we battle onward, on to victory. In the words of former Winocchi camp doctor, Dr. Dre, until the next episode, IP, MP, C-dubs, hold the fort.